Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Adam Spinella is in the building. We are not going to talk about James Harden today. It's not happening. We finally got a day where we don't have to talk about James Harden because we have enough stuff happening around basketball that was worthwhile to discuss. First, we're going to talk about Team USA going 5-0 in their exhibition run. We're going to talk specifically about, I think, more of the Spain and Germany games and talk a lot more about the Germany games or the Germany game uh, than anything because that occurred today. Got some really exciting things that happened throughout the course of that game and some things that I've kind of been told uh, throughout the process about Team USA. I'm excited to dive deep into everything we have seen from them so far. Then we're going to talk about the five lottery teams in 2023 that we think will make the playoffs in 2024. I don't know about it, we think, but we think they have the best shot, right? Best shot. Best shot is probably the best way to say it. I'd probably put money on one or two of them to make the playoffs, but five, five who have the best shot. Five is aggressive, but I think they're at least, I think three of these teams will make the playoffs at least. Okay. Uh, Let's, let's couch it there. Finally, we're going to talk about Ty Ty Washington getting waved over the weekend by the Oklahoma City Thunder. This is a guy that came into the 2022 draft cycle as lottery pick, struggled a bit at Kentucky with injuries and things. Gets to Houston in the late first round, gets traded in order to create cap space. And we just want to talk about how things can just really come quickly for players in the draft, specifically certain players in the draft. And we want to dive deep into that a little bit. Adam, how's it going, man? Sam, uh, it's great, man. Life is good. It's August. I'm not working yet. Like, I got another week before I'm back to school (laughs) full time. Like, I'm just kind of hanging out and watching a bunch of film and basketball. I I did, like, 13 games of the Oklahoma Sooners over the weekend, which was super fun. Like, I'm just doing whatever the hell I want. It's awesome. Yeah, you're uh, you're diving deep into Milo Suzon and just really going for it. I love Love, love him, by the way. Love him. Really interesting player, guy that I had in my top 50. Like, I, I'm I'm very intrigued by Milos. Yeah. Okay, let's start with Team USA. Team USA comes back to beat Germany after getting down 16 points in this game, Adam. I think that there's a lot of positive and a lot of negative. Let's start with the positives, first and foremost. Anthony Edwards looks like the dude on this team. Like, unequivocally, he is the guy, it feels like. Uh, And Steve Kerr said as much after the game. Steve Kerr said, this is the guy. It's very clear he has emerged into being our go-to player. And I want to start there because I think that it's not surprising, and yet it is surprising on, like, a couple of levels. So there are just veteran players on this team, right? Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brunson. There are a number of players that theoretically could have taken over as this top option, this leading option. But instead, it's the guy entering his fourth season in the NBA, 22 years old, one of the younger guys on the team who we know has – more talent than anybody on this team, certainly. Like, just in terms of natural physical gifts, Anthony Edwards has as many of those as anybody in the NBA, essentially. The fact that he is doing this this quickly in what amounts to a leadership role on Team USA with all of these dudes he's playing with, 
if I was a Timberwolves fan, I would be ecstatic right now about what I'm seeing. Yeah, I mean, he's been A1 since day one. There's there's no doubt about that. I've always loved Anthony Edwards. But this this type of superstar turn to have the ball in your hands and be calling off all these other all-stars, it, it, it seems like it's happening maybe a little bit sooner than we expected. We all saw the potential yeah. and the ability for him to be that guy. But looking at this Team USA roster, he was kind of one of the younger guys out there. Would he really be able to – step up into that role right away and unequivocally he has and he's not just done it by being an offensive creator a guy who wants to go one-on-one and can score has all these great athletic moments he's been defending pretty impressively too and that I think that that matters as well like the two-way play and particularly with Steve Kerr when you're playing with other great NBA stars if you put that effort in on the defensive end you will get a longer leash to play your game on offense I mean, he took on the Franz Wagner assignment in the entirety of like the late game there yeah. uh, in the Germany game and, and was enormous. Like he really made life exceptionally hard for Franz Wagner. I, I think that he deserves so much credit for that side of the floor as much as anything. There are still like off ball lapses, like there are still things that he does. But on the ball, that dude is a monster on defense. Yeah. Like he, he really is turning into a monster on defense. Uh it's funny, like, I don't want to, like, overvalue some of this stuff with Ant, but, like, with Ant, you you look at some of the stuff he's done in his career, like, off the court. Like, the, the funny clips that you see of him where he's just, like, unabashedly himself, right? And, like, weirdly, do, do you know the thing that, like, kind of made me buy into him more? What's that? the movie that he was in with Adam Sandler. He was cold. Like to be so comfortable in your own skin as to have never acted before. And then to be able to give like an incredible performance. He's like, seriously, he was other than Adam Sandler, the best performance in that movie. Truly. It's the confidence, like everything. Like he's just a natural dude on camera clearly with other people he's it sounds ridiculous i get it it sounds really stupid to say that something like that matters but it does it just goes to showcase just how entirely comfortable this dude is in his own skin as a human being being unabashedly himself and that translates to leadership and being like the guy i think on a team so yeah i i have every single amount of confidence in him and i think seasons and sloan brings up a great point it's the confidence like he has this natural confidence about him that i think lends people to wanting to like be around him and i think also lends itself to being the guy on a team like this where he can emerge into being the best player because like look i don't want all nba players are incredibly confident like we need to say that (laughs) but like Brandon Ingram is like a low key guy, right? He's not like a rock the boat guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton plays like a very unselfish brand of basketball. Jalen Brunson plays this unselfish brand of basketball, right? <clears throat> a lot of the older guys, Mikael Bridges plays an unselfish brand of basketball. So a lot of these guys, I think, they're the kind of players that it makes sense for Anthony Edwards to yeah. be the dude. 
Yes. You know what I mean? To yeah. emerge here and be this guy. And I- I'm excited to see where it goes in the World Cup. Like, this could be – like, it, people remember, like, the Zach Levine, Devin Booker, like uh, – I can't remember. I think that was the Olympics, wasn't it? Where, like, those yeah. guys kind of really emerged and, you know, became real dudes in the league. I think Ant might do that in this tournament to an even greater degree than Levine. M- maybe not quite to, like, Devin Booker's level whatever Devin, like – immediately emerged into like a top 10 player in the league but man i i, I don't know he, he's gonna be interesting he's got it and i love the the term confidence here because a lot of times when you find a confident player that can be to their detriment at times they take some shots that they shouldn't or uh, to me the the difference between having a, an endearing amount of confidence is how authentic it is if, if people yeah. really see that that's who you are off the floor, you've got to own sort of the negative stuff that comes with it. And Ant seems very comfortable in owning that stuff, not letting it bother him. Like, he's cool taking the last shot. If it means he's going to miss it, he'll go out there and he'll own that. But yep. you, you've got to want that moment and be super comfortable with that. So I think this has been nothing but a positive few few games here for Timberwolves fans to, to look at Anthony Edwards. Yeah. Man, the sky is, is – Really not just the limit for him, but he's getting closer to reaching it. Yeah, to quote Michael Jordan, the ceiling is through the roof. Uh, The interesting piece of this now for Team USA is, like, I think they're still trying to work through their rotation a little bit. Like, I don't know if they have – I don't know if they have it yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. It it feels like, to me at least, they don't have a great answer – in terms of their big rotation yet. Yeah. Uh, Jaron Jackson's been phenomenal. I think Jaron Jackson has probably been their second most consistent player behind Ant. I think you can make a case for him, for Brunson, for Halliburton, Halliburton. honestly, for Austin Reeves. Like, I, I think that a lot of these guys have been really, really good. I think Jaron's probably been the number two guy for me just because of the defensive ability that he brings. But he's not going to play more than 28 minutes game probably in this thing and it feels like they don't have an answer in terms of the backup bigs bobby portis and paulo i think have really struggled defensively and it feels like steve kerr still hasn't quite figured out the scheme to run defensively when those guys are in he tried a lot of drop today against germany and dennis schroeder just absolutely eviscerated them like completely destroyed them he had 16 points and 10 assists but like it was getting penetration every single time, kick out, you know, reversal up to the top of the wing, getting all kind of hockey assists. They have to figure out what they do when Jaron Jackson is off the court defensively. I don't think they have a great answer there yet. Uh, There were some moments I thought Paulo did okay switching Switching, a little bit more playing the five. I think that might be more what I would go down the road of if I was USA, but like the drop with, Portis and Paulo or like any sort of like show and recover kind of strategy. It felt like did not work at all against Germany. And I'm a little bit worried about what they do in terms of the backup center position defensively. Yeah. And I think there are other smaller areas that they've got to be aware of. Like, you know, Germany had some success with some full court pressure and trying to to slow down the, the clock and the amount of, of time that USA would have on offense. Some of the zone stuff kind of worked well toggling between defenses. And I think Jaron was a little bit too pinned to the baseline 
today in that Germany game against the zone, not trying to flash or play make from the high post in different areas. Like they've got to find the right team balance for how they want to break down some of those things. So we could see a, a couple other close games, but like the overwhelming talent that this USA roster has is still apparent. And if they can find those tweaks in the moments when Jackson's off the floor, I think they're going to be just too good to, to pass up on. Yeah. And like Luke B asks, like who will ridic- who will realistically punish them if they don't play any typical centers, not a ton of scary five men this year. I mean, look, I thought Daniel Tice did a pretty good job of like hitting them in ball screens. To me, it's not about the bigs in terms of like post defense. It's about the space defense against these European teams that will put those bigs out in space and force them to guard ball screens. Uh, That's what I would be most concerned about uh, if I was, if I was a USA uh, coaching staff member. Now the next piece of this for me is I'm really intrigued to see how the rotation shakes out because I feel like, offensively the issues for them at times have been the stagnation, the, the like ability to just not have any ball movement and to kind of go one-on-one and like rely on Brandon Ingram to drive, rely on Jalen Brunson to drive. I think that they have looked drastically, drastically better when Tyrese Halliburton and Austin Reeves are on the court, like purely full stop. I think Halliburton has probably been their third best player, behind Jaron Jackson and Ant. And then, like, I really think there's a case that, like, Austin Reeves just needs to play as many minutes as kind of possible. Him and Bridges as well. Like, Bridges is huge for them defensively just because of the, like, on-ball defense. He's going to knock down corner threes. You have to stay attached to him. He creates space for everybody. But Reeves' like, unselfishness, his ball movement, his uh, just – consistent willingness to not be afraid of the moment. The fact that he chases over everything and works hard defensively. It's the well-roundedness of his game that allows him to compliment literally everybody else on the court. And this is why he was so good for the Lakers, obviously as well. But like, I kind of think he needs to play like in closing minutes. Like I kind of think their closing lineup is something like Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, Austin Reeves, Mikael Bridges, Jaron Jackson. It's kind of what my immediate reaction is if a team's a little bit bigger you can maybe go like brandon ingram, ingram. instead of reeves but like i, I don't know i, I think that i, I kind of think they need austin reeves on the court a lot it, floor spacing is important in in international competition and in games like this and reeves and bridges are both guys who will move the ball and make unselfish plays while also knocking down the appropriate shots i mean bridges defense in the germany game in the second half was huge so let's yeah. let's be clear on that like he he definitely deserves to be part of that seven or eight man rotation however steve totally. Kerr decides however he decides to slice it uh, but it is going to be a little bit matchup dependent and i think that's where you look at the roster needing to figure out how it's going to play in bigger lineups and smaller lineups with Paolo or Portis at the five, with Jackson at the five. That's what the exhibition games are for. As a coach, you want to trot out all these different types of rotations, see how guys react and what buttons you need to press when the games really really matter a ton. So uh, again, there's a lot that they can learn from something like this and continue to tweak and improve but I tend to agree like those ball movers and those guys who are really aware of their role. They're incredibly important on this team USA group because 
we've seen it before, like year after year, when you put all these stars together, the ball can stick. And Halliburton and Reeves are two of the better guys out there at just moving it around and letting the ball determine who, who the right guy is to score in that possession. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Look, Halliburton has been you can you can probably make it work with one of Halliburton or Reeves in the right matchup, depending on you know how stagnant the offense gets, what kind of defensive capabilities you need on the court. Uh, you know, if you need both Bridges and Ingram's length out there to kind of shut down passing lanes, okay, whatever. Uh, but man, I, I, I think that I think that Halliburton has been awesome. And look, like we're probably underrating Brunson here too. Brunson was enormous against Spain. Yep. Like Brunson had 23 against Spain. He was huge. Brunson will play a ton of minutes. He's starting for them right now. Like Brunson has been pretty good. I didn't think he was particularly good today, but like Brunson has been plenty good. It's just that Halliburton has brought it every single game to this point to where I kind of think he has to be the guy next to Ant in the backcourt. Like if I was them, I would probably be starting Ant Halliburton. I guess I would start Bridges, Ingram and Jaron. And then you'd have the one big off the bench in Portis Paulo or maybe even Kessler, depending on if you can uh, really drop and like, you know, force a team into tougher spots, you know, depending situationally, of course. Uh, And then it's, you know, Reeves and Brunson is like your sixth and or your seventh, your sixth and seventh men, I guess. And that's your rotation, I think. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. I love the way that Halliburton and Ant really counterbalance each other in terms of their creation, their ability to shoot and play off of each other. Like I think those two need to be sharing the court with each other as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, and the final thing I want to note here is we talked throughout free agency about the Spurs and the fact that they should have given Austin Reeves real money. Uh, Austin Reeves is a free agent. Austin Reeves got four years, 54 million, something like that, because that's what he was arenas limited at. He has a player option. He'll be a free agent in three and he'll get paid then. But like Bill Simmons tweeted about this earlier, like this is the Spurs decision to not pay Austin Reeves continues to look silly. Totally agree. Yes. They should have paid Austin Reeves. This was never, I, I don't know why they didn't like, if you're the Spurs, why don't you offer Austin Reeves something like three years, 60 million team option on the third year, make it as miserable as possible for the Lakers to match. And that, that seems like the right call to me, at least make it as hard as possible for the Lakers to match. And Oh, by the way, your worst case scenario is you piss off the Lakers. You probably don't care about that. Uh, you make a good relationship with his agent, having handled this entire thing. That you know is a great example of this. Is the Gordon Hayward offer sheet many years ago from the Hornets to Utah? Utah ends up matching. Eventually, Hayward signs in Boston, and then the next place that Hayward signs is Charlotte. Right. So, to me. You get him out of L.A. a year early. You set him up for unrestricted free agency. You create a positive situation with your agent. And, like, look, the Lakers probably do match. I agree. But, like, what were the Spurs doing anyway? Yes. Like, they took on the Chetty Oseman money. They took on the campaign money. They took on, like, a little bit of money here and there. 
in order to get like second round picks. They didn't really get any real difference makers or anything like that. And the campaign stuff would have been like, you could have done that later in the off season or like you could have done something with the thunder later in the off season with their roster glut. Like there are a bunch of teams out there that have these roster gluts right now. The wizards are another one, right? So you could have just done this and you could have continued then after the Lakers match, if you think they match, or you could have maxed them. You could have gone for a hundred or whatever it was and really forced the Lakers hand. But like, I I just don't. Yeah. The the money was teams are always going to want to dump salary. If you feel like you need to have some cap space to be able to take on some assets to dump salary, I just think that Reeves was the guy. He fits yeah. their age timeline. He fits their unselfish culture yeah. that they've built under Greg Popovich. Like, yeah. I, I he would have been perfect next to Wembenyama developmentally in the long term. As soon as they get good, like their skill sets and the way that they would play, perfectly complement each other. I, I think it would have been great. And and Sam, you and I were talking about this a little bit off air, like when you are a team that hasn't been very good and you have a lot of cap space, yeah. what do you, what do you do with it is the best thing to maybe take the San Antonio approach, which is try to accumulate a few more future assets, some draft picks, maybe some flexible contracts you can move down the line and view yourself as a, a kind of a, a salary off put for a bunch of teams around the league that are desperately going to need space in July. That's one option. And and that's certainly the one that the Spurs took and, and uh, you know, time will tell if that was the right move or the wrong move. You could do maybe what a Houston has done and just go out there and spend a lot of money and overpay for a bunch of veterans to try to come on a younger team and help turn things around or Indiana with Bruce Brown, like go overpay for a couple of years for a guy so that he comes with you and hope that he's the right piece to help you continue to develop. I, I think it's really fascinating the different tracks all those teams took this July. Yeah. And you know, another option there is Luke says in the comments, like renegotiations and extensions, yep. they don't really have anyone like that. Uh, like Keldon Johnson just signed his extension. He's locked up. You don't need to renegotiate and extend Devin Vassell because he's still on a rookie scale deal. Uh, they've just extended Trey Jones to the contract they wanted to give Trey Jones. They, they don't have anybody that they're looking yeah. to do that with in order to hoard their cap space either. So, right. yeah, I don't – to me, like, I think teams, like, overvalue the ability to rent out their cap space unless they're getting, like, premium picks. Uh, yeah. The level to which, like, guys that are difference makers, and I think Austin Reeves is probably, like, a difference maker in the NBA right now, like, might be, like, a top 60 player in the league. Like, the the level to which he is a difference maker for you on the court is just the level to which that is more valuable than second-round picks. Even if it's a 10% chance you get him and the Lakers don't match, you still do that, and then you like down the road ran out of right. cap space. Then, then you can pivot to the Chetty Osmans and the the campaigns of the world. And I know, like Supreme Court has had a lot of stuff to do with campaign finance the last few years. That's my shitty dad joke for the day. But like, yes, go the Austin Reeves route first. You can always double back around, particularly early in free agency. Like you should know this is what you want to hit. The Lakers only have what forty eight hours to match something like that. Yep. And if they don't, 
or sorry, so if it's they 24 do. now, but like yeah. the, the way it works practically now is you have the moratorium. When someone hits restricted free agency, you can offer them a offer sheet, but they can't match it during the moratorium. Right. You have to wait 24 hours after the moratorium ends. Yep. So, you know, it, could have been anywhere from five days they would have had to match to 24 hours if they would have waited until after the moratorium ended. Uh, if you wait until after the moratorium ends, the Osmond deal probably isn't there because it felt like the Cavs were really trying to clear out some space specifically for uh, Max Struess and, and getting that deal done, I think, on the second day of free agency. So, you know, you, you would have lost out on that. But, like, I, I don't know. I would have – if you have even a 5% chance to convince – Reeves to go, or if you think that by doing this, you can get Reeves out of LA earlier and thus get him to San Antonio in two years instead of three, then yeah, I don't yeah. know. But and, I mean, the, the Chetty Osman deal, like they got him, Lamar Stevens, and a 2030 second round pick. Like, is yeah. that really what we're saying is so urgent that we, we can't wait for Austin Reeves on? Well, and Jake Slack asks in the YouTube comments, a fair question. Are we sure Reeves wanted to sign in San Antonio? Takes two to tango. Look, I don't know this. I'm not going to sit here and say that, like, I know what's going on with Austin Reeves. If the Spurs would have offered him a four-year $100 million contract as opposed to a four-year $54 million contract, uh, which, by the way, the Lakers could have matched anyway, the four-year hundred or four, it would have been 97, I think is the actual number. Cannot imagine a world where he does not sign in San Antonio. Put it this way. If they offer him 360, which is the offer that I just, you know, laid out, right? You, you offer him 360, then that's more than he's going to make in four years and he's getting it in three. That offsets the amount of money that he could make in terms of like sponsorships and things like that in LA. And I think Dre is 100% right. LA is a big market. He likes LA. I, it seems like he does. I think that's 100% accurate. But like, I don't know. Money talks, I think. Yeah. And the Spurs had enough money to make it talk in this circumstance. And I think they probably should have. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. it's, it's and, interesting. And it's, and it's you, different. The, the it, other piece of it, too, I'm sorry, is Cosmo brings up he would have been the number one or number two option and had a chance to get his max deal after this deal. Because of the way his contract would have been structured at that point with the big $35 million balloon payment in the last year, it would have been so easy to extend at a higher number off of this. Or if they would have flattened it out at 2020 or whatever it would have been, you could have gone 140% off of 20, which would be a $28 million starting salary next time if you wanted to extend. So yeah, I, I just don't see the, I don't see why they didn't do this. I don't yeah, see why and, they didn't go for it. And and for Reeves, like it, it's different if we're talking about a veteran who's already made a bunch of millions of dollars in the league. Like this is a guy not coming off of a lucrative contract that he signed with the Lakers right out of the gate. This is his chance to get paid. Like the difference between four years, 97 million and what he just signed with the Lakers is astronomical for a guy in his position. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. Okay. Let's take a quick commercial break and then we will uh, move to the teams that we think will make the playoffs after being in the lottery. We're talking about players securing the bag. 
when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, Adam. Are you ready to do this? We picked five teams that we think were in the 2023 lottery that will make the 2024 playoffs. Now, the way we structured this was there is one team that we both just categorically agreed on, and that team is probably a bit obvious. And then I picked two, and then Adam picked two. That was that was the idea here. And we'll call out who picked what teams throughout. Let's start with the team we both agreed on. Yep. And that is the Dallas Mavericks. I think the Dallas Mavericks are going to make the playoffs this year. I think yep. they are the team that I feel most confident in. I do want to talk about some of the ways this could go wrong a little sure. bit as well. But let's talk about the ways that it will go right. Uh, the first way is Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic is really good at basketball. That's why. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty compelling argument you make there. And despite all of the changes on their roster personnel-wise last year, they were knocking on the door of the play-in in the playoffs leading into the final week. And for what it's worth, like hindsight always twenty twenty, 
definitely looks like the right move on their part to to get that draft pick this year and then maneuver it down the board for all the assets the way that they did. I thought it was a fantastic summer for them in kind of retooling the type of players you need to surround Luka Doncic with. But at the end of the day, having Luka Doncic on your roster is far and away step one to becoming a, a 45 and above win team. So a few other reasons why I feel pretty good about this, right? So first, we're going to get a full year of Luca and Kyrie, and I would hope that they will develop some chemistry together uh, in terms of the way that they work on and off ball. Kyrie will play a little bit more off the ball. We're probably going to see a little bit more of a similar uh, Kyrie to what we saw with the Cavs, I would think, next to LeBron, just in terms of, this dude can just go out and score now. Like he doesn't have to worry about playmaking. He doesn't have to worry about anything that comes with that. He'll be asked to do it specifically in bench units. Uh, but oh, by the way, bench units have been the substantial significant problem there in Dallas. When Luca leaves the court, you now have the ability to leave Kyrie on the court. You can stagger these guys and really minimize the amount of time where you don't have an elite creator on the court. Uh, in Dallas, I think that that is for the regular season and for racking up wins, just an enormous, enormous reason why the Mavericks will be better next season than what they were this year. Yeah, and that tandem over the course of 82 games has the potential to be absolutely lethal in ways that we yeah. didn't even get to see fully tapped into. I mean, I, I always try to bring up the point that anytime you acquire a player in the middle of the season, you don't have times to really switch up a ton of your schematics to try to make things work that, uh, you know, sometime in the off season and training camp doesn't just help your players gel. It helps you restructure your schematics, your offensive and defensive playbooks to maximize the best players that you have. Yep. A uh, couple other things worth noting. Maxi Kleba only played 37 games last yep. season. Maxi is a little bit older. Like he'll be 32 uh, next season. But Maxi is a really important player for them defensively. Getting him back for a full season, I think, is going to be really, really important. Obviously, as well, the emergence of Josh Green over yes. the course of the back half of the season, I thought was critical for them. Him being able to take on that three role, being able to run in transition with Kyrie, who does like to push the pace a little bit. Uh, kind of a perfect player, I think, as long as the shooting continues to hold up to place next to Luka and Kyrie. Uh, the other piece of this here is that I just think they've done a really good job in general of kind of rounding out the two spots that they needed in the four and the five. Like I imagine Grant Williams is probably going to start at the four now. Yeah. Grant's just a really smart player. Grant, I think particularly what I like is that he's going to be able to relieve some pressure in short roll settings. He hasn't done a crazy amount of that in Boston necessarily, but I think he has the ability to do that. You have Grant come up and set screens or you have, someone like Rashawn Holmes or whoever's going to play center, come up and start screens or come up and set screens. And then if they put two on the ball, Grant is going to be able to be that screen setter and you can relieve the pressure by putting him in the middle of the court, letting him make decisions. He's a really smart passer, really sharp processor of the game. I think he can do that. Um, and then defensively, he's very useful. He's a versatile player who can take on tough assignments and just having that, uh, to replace what they lose in Dorian Finney-Smith. He's not as good as Dorian Finney-Smith is defensively, but I think that it's going to be really, really critical for them to be able uh, 
to have somebody like Grant out there to take on those tough assignments. Yeah, and then the way that the Mavericks have run their offense in the past with Luka Doncic is they do a lot of mismatch hunting. They bring yep. up whoever has the worst defender or the targeted defender that Dallas wants to get switched onto Luka. Whoever he's initially guarding just comes up and sets that high ball screen. So the more guys you can put in that spot who are wingish guys who can both shoot and make the right decision in a split second if they catch the ball and are left open, as, as Luca commands too, the better off Dallas is going to be. I think Tim Hardaway Jr. is like a little bit underrated in that regard because he is a shooting threat in what he can do in some of those actions. But Grant Williams' playmaking, whether it's the short roll or in like pick and pop, and then you've got a second or two to just make the right play to sustain the advantage that's created – He's a really smart addition to this team on the offensive end, but they really desperately needed more wing and like front court defense. And Grant is going to to fill that role that Dorian Finney-Smith left behind. He's not quite as good and energetic in a lot of different ways that Dorian Finney-Smith is, but it was important for them to have somebody who's at least competent within that role. And then they've got a litany of big men who can go out there, and I'm really fascinated to see how that rotation is going to sort itself out throughout the year. Yeah, great question from Connor Andrews in the YouTube comments. Where do you think they'll rank defensively this year? 20. 20. 20. Yeah, yeah not, not much of a jump in terms of rankings, but I think that they should be a top five offense. Like, I think that, you know, them dropping to sixth was actually like a real interesting thing that has occurred. Like, I know that's actually a little bit better than what they've ranked over the course of the last couple of years. Uh, you know, first year with Jason Kidd, last year with Rick Carlisle. But I felt like it was still not quite there in terms of like the blend uh, of how things like really, really worked well. Uh, yeah, like I, I think that if they are, if they are, you know, a top five offense and they're the 20th defense, it's probably like a plus two net rating, yeah. something like that. And that should get you into the playoffs. I mean, yeah, we're talking about it here. 16 teams end up making the playoffs, Sam. Like it's it's not an incredibly, incredibly high bar to clear on the defensive end when you have as theoretically great of an offense as Dallas has. The other so l- l- the other side of this is how this could go wrong. And I think that there are two ways. First, well, maybe three. Uh, the, the first one is that Luka could get hurt, right? If Luka gets hurt, this is not a playoff team. This is nowhere near a playoff team. Right. Luca does consistently miss like 15 games a year, something like that. Then being able to stem the tide with Kyrie now in the 15 games that Luca misses is really big. If they play games without Luca or Kyrie, that will be a problem for them. Uh, two, you know, typically the first year with Kyrie is fine. Like typically that is not a problem. Kyrie is a wild card. I think he'll be good this year. I I see no reason to believe otherwise, given his track record. The track record is that there are not problems in the first year. So that piece of it is good. The third is that the center position is still an open question. They drafted Derek Lively. I think Lively probably is not going to be able to play big minutes this year, basically. Uh, maybe by the end of the year, he might be able to get like 10 to 15 a game, but I I would be surprised. So they need to figure out Rashawn Holmes. If he can play still, that's a real question. He was going through a number of different issues in Sacramento. Uh, And then additionally, 
got hurt. So it's unclear. And then the system changed and everything. I I don't know what Rashawn Holmes has or doesn't have at this point. He might still be quite good, but I'm not sure now that things seem to be behind him in terms of the custody battles with his ex-partner and everything like that. They also have Dwight Powell. Dwight Powell, I guess, provides reasonable depth. JaVale did not look like he had a whole lot left, to be honest, when we saw him. Um, Can they get anything from Omax? We will see. I I hope so. But that's how. Like, the depth could be an issue here uh, in general. The fourth part is, like, this could fall apart under Jason Kidd. Um, And Jason Kidd is not, like, an awesome, awesome uh, player. There, there are a lot of ways that things can get off the rails, right? Injuries, guys not becoming happy. They've got young players on their roster who they may need to rely on for at least some minutes during the regular season, not necessarily major crucial roles, but like Lively and Prosper, Jaden Hardy still really, really young. Like there, there, there are younger guys that might need to step up and do something for them. But I keep going back to the idea that when you have two of the most talented players in the world, at least through the regular season. We're talking here about getting to the playoffs and necessarily thriving once you get there. That's a pretty good indicator that you're going to be in the 40 to 45 win ballpark at the least. Yeah. I think I called Jason Kidd a player and not a coach. Um, I meant like as a player in this uh, entire yeah. scheme here. But, I got you. I got you. Yeah. We will, uh, we will see. I- I'll let you – I led the Dallas discussion there, um, but I think Dallas will – be in the t- I think Dallas will be in the final eight uh, at the very least because in a play-in type setting if they do only end up in the play-in there is probably not a player I trust in in a play-in setting more than Luca like guys like Tatum Giannis Jokic they aren't going to be there uh, Steph is not going to be there in a play-in setting in all likelihood um, there's probably not anyone I would trust more than Luca in such a setting Totally agree with that. Okay. I will give you the floor. Adam, who is your team that you want to start with here? Yeah. So in doing this assignment and thinking about this, I wanted to look to the Eastern Conference because the West is an absolute bloodbath. Uh, I know a lot of people are saying it in the comments right now. Don't worry, guys. Like We planned for this. The West has a lot of teams that are going to stay good who made the playoffs last year. So I immediately went and focused – on the East. And as I'm looking for teams there, like there is one that really stood out to me as having a guy who is just an absolute superstar that we don't talk about enough. And when he is in the lineup, his team's actually already pretty damn good. It's Tyrese Halliburton with the Indiana Pacers. I would be mm-hmm. very high on the Pacers actually making the playoffs next year. Uh, he averaged 21 and 10 last year on 49, 40, and 87 shooting splits. It's absolutely effing ridiculous what he was able to accomplish. He might just be the best passer in the game of basketball today, too. And man, they were 28 and 28 with him in the lineup last year. Yeah. And that's enough to get them in the play in on its own. He got hurt, and there was some stuff going on down to the stretch run of the season where they decided to kind of shut things down. But this is an already like competent group with Tyrese Halliburton at the helm. They've got an experienced coach in Rick Carlisle, one of the best rim protectors in the NBA, and a guy like Miles Turner, who averaged 18 on offense while shooting 37% from three. And 
they keep the formula simple. They've got a Halliburton who is this galaxy brain creator and unbelievable playmaker. They've got another guy in Nemhard who I, I think doesn't get talked about enough as being just a savvy, always ready pick and roll creator. And then they space the floor with a ton of shooters. Aaron Neesmith, Buddy Heald. We forget about Buddy Heald and how prolific of a three-point shooter he is, kind of not just currently, but in like the annals of league history. What he's been able to accomplish from a volume perspective is ridiculous. I love the addition of Bruce Brown just as a winning piece, that connective glue defensive type. Jarris Walker, if he's ready to, to start or at least play minutes in an important way from day one, has that similar type of DNA. Another step forward from Benedict Matherin in year two. There's a lot of upside potential here. While I'm also looking at this team, like if Halliburton plays 75 games or more, like they're at least going to win 37, 38 of them. So, yeah, I particularly really like what they did in order to maximize the talent they have with their additions this offseason. The Bruce Brown signing, I think, is like genuinely brilliant. Going out and getting Bruce Brown, because the thing that you can do to Halliburton still, I think, a little bit is blitz him. I think that if you put two on the ball, there are times where he will pick it up. And while he has incredible vision and his handle has improved at a very real level, he also is somebody that really needs an outlet option, I think, in short roll settings or like a pick and pop option. And he has the pick and pop option in Turner, but he didn't really have like the short roll, like passing playmaking guy. They actually went out and got two of them. Like Bruce Brown is like the guy that can really do it. Like Bruce Brown is incredible in these short roll settings, playing him as like a pseudo four. The other guys like Jarris Walker, like I think Jarris is going to be able to play 15 minutes a night, 20 minutes a night, pretty early, given the defensive ability, given the short roll passing, the playmaking that he has. I think he's going to be really valuable for them in those settings. They went out and they accentuated. This is a great offense already with Tyrese Halliburton on the court. They went out and they got two guys that I think will go make that offense even better. And on top of it, they also went out and got Obi Toppin, who, yes, he does not help them on the defensive end of the court. But the thing that Halliburton really likes to do is run. And Obi will run with him. Obi will go. And on top of it, the other thing that you can do is you can play Obi and Jarris together. And I think that that could give you the kind of like four or five combination of needing the rim protection from Jarris, needing uh, the pick and roll ability that Obi Toppin didn't really get a chance to showcase with the Knicks, but that we know has um, an immense amount of potential to pay dividends within I love how they went about accentuating the things that they did great while also improving the things that they did poorly. And this is before even talking about the defensive side of the court where they were 26th in the NBA last season and were like a total dumpster fire. And that's where the Bruce Brown signing is so important to me because when I look at this Pacers roster a year ago, I'm thinking – who is going to handle that top defensive assignment when they go into 25 of their 29 opponents, gyms and and arenas there, they're going to have to guard a high level scorer or playmaker somewhere on the one through three, maybe one through four range. 
They didn't really have a guy who can slide in and do that. I think Halliburton with his length and off-ball IQ is smart enough to be versatile and slide in different positions, but you don't want him playing that type of role. You want him more as an off-ball defender to save his energy, to use his IQ in those ways. Bruce Brown checks all of those boxes in a meaningful way. And if it's somebody who's a little bit bigger and you need to, to just guard that with more beef, like that's where Jairus Walker comes in and is really, really strong. I have very high hopes that he is going to break the Rick Carlisle mold and be a, a rookie that continues to contribute right away. We've seen this Pacers team in particular have quite a few of them, just smart, high IQ young guys who know their role. Jairus Walker is that down to a T. I absolutely loved him as a prospect, but his fit in Indiana is so damn perfect on both ends of the floor. Like, I am really excited about this group. Yeah, and look, like, some of the other guys they have, like, should improve. I mean, like, Ben Matherin should improve, right? And uh, Andrew Nemhard was a rookie last year and was super valuable. He should get better in year two, you would think. Uh, This is a deep team now they have real talent that I think can make them better. Again, if this team finishes 20th in the league defensively as opposed to 26th this year, which, you know, honestly, I would still expect them to be below average defense. Yeah. Just that's the reality of where they are. But if they can get to 20th, I mean, last year, do you know what the Pacers' offensive rating was when Tyrese Halliburton was on the court, Adam? No idea. When Tyrese Halliburton was on the court, The Indiana Pacers had a 118.8 offensive rating. That is an insane number. That is a ridiculous, like, out-of-this-world number in terms of offensive rating. That is, like, basically Sacramento Kings last year that set the record for offensive rating, like, number, basically. So Halliburton's a great point guard, a really, really good player, And he just needed help on the margins, I think, to make this work. And I think that he did a really – I think the Pacers did a really good job of doing that. And then on top of it, let's just be honest about the East as well. It's easier to find playoff spots in the East. The Nets were, frankly, kind of a disaster after their moves uh, to trade Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. This was not a team that was a playoff team at the end of the day. The Hawks are a question mark. Like, you know, you, you want to talk about the Hawks at some point. We will talk yeah. about the Hawks at some point on the show. Yeah. But, like, the Hawks are a bit of an open question. The Raptors are a bit of an open question, I think. Uh, the Bulls are certainly an open question at this point. It's a little bit easier, I think, to find the playoff slots in the East than it is in the West right now. Totally agree. Uh, Indiana, I mean, there are some young teams in the East that could all make this type of leap, and we may talk about one a little bit later. But I think the Pacers are just a half step farther along than everybody else right now in terms of the development, the cohesion, having that established number one star, a a veteran number two in Miles Turner. By the way, Buddy Heald, 42.5% from three on over eight attempts a game. Like, I, I still don't think we talk about how important of a player Buddy Heald can be if you want to build yep. a lethal offense. I think that's right. Okay, let's get to my first team yep. here, the Oklahoma City Thunder, Ooh. which is a team that I just love, and people know that I love them, and I'm a mark for them, and it's whatever. They won 40 games last season. This is a team that is just going to keep getting better. Shea Gilgis-Alexander 
keeps getting better every year. Like, I, I don't know how much more room there is for him to get better necessarily at this point, because my God, like how, how can this guy keep doing it? Yeah. But he is a player that consistently works hard, that consistently improves his craft. If he improves at all, and he showed real growth defensively last year as well. If he continues to show real growth on that end, continues to show real growth as a passer and playmaker, I mean, my God, like he's going to be a well-rounded, complete offensive force at that point that is going to be really, really hard to stop. Josh Giddy, if anybody has watched the Australian national team this summer, looks like he is getting better and is continuing to take a leap, right? Jalen Williams, anybody that saw him at Summer League, anybody that just sees the physical transformation he is making, this dude is a physical monster. He is 6'6". Yeah. He is seven foot two wingspan. Like, he just makes everything happen for them. He's a good defender. He is an awesome ball handler and playmaker. He can get out and transition. He's one of the best finishers at the basket in the league. He is going to get better in year two. Again, this is a guy that has gotten better Every year for the last five years of his career, he's going to get better. The fourth guy here is Chet Holmgren. Yeah. yeah. Chet's going to be a big difference for this team. They finished in the top 15 in the NBA last season in defense, despite the fact that they didn't really have a backline rim protector. Like, all due respect to Jalen Williams, who I think does a good job, does a better job than what the numbers would indicate maybe is the way to put it in terms of his overall rim protection. Because when you account for the charges, those are turnovers. Those are essentially stops at the rim. If you account for those, he's actually really, really good uh, in terms of making it harder for guys to get good, easy looks at the basket. Now you add Chet, who I think they will play at the five. Like you ask in our document here, will he play the four or the five? They will play him at the five. The reason I say that, there there are lineups where they will play him with Jalen Williams, I think, because they like the idea of, like they might want to reduce the wear and tear on Chet at some point. But for the most part, they're going to play him at the five because they like the ability to have five men who can grab and go, who can play with the ball in their hands, who can shoot, who can space the court. They're going to do all of that. So you bring this guy in now who I think is going to be ready to play from the jump. Like, I don't know if he's going to be, you know, the rookie of the year in the league. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, a top 50 player in the league or anything, but he's going to be a starting quality center from day one in the NBA. Like that is where I'm at on chat. I think he averages something like 14 points, 10 rebounds, if he plays 30 minutes a night, I think he might average like two and a half blocks per game. Yeah. And he's going to shoot threes. He's going to finish at the rim. He's going to be switchable on defense. He's also going to be able to play and drop at a super high level on defense. They're going to be versatile. They're going to be more versatile than they were defensively last year. This is a team that's going to be better. I, I get it that like there are, there are a limited number of playoff spots in the league, but like, I just, yeah, yeah th- they're going to be better. They're going to be great this year, I think. They're, they're going to win 44, 45 games, I think. 
So you and I have both gushed about the roster construction, the long-term planning in Oklahoma City, how many of these guys have turned into hits for their roster. Like they're, they are literally overflowing with young talent where they're waving guys, and, and that'll be part of the conversation we yeah. get to later. But like there is so much young talent on this roster. If only half of them get better this offseason, the Thunder are still going to be leaps and bounds better. So like we haven't even talked about Usman Jang who like showed some interesting flashes this year. Like if he can just be a ninth guy for the ninth guy for them, what yeah. an intrigue, intriguing and fun piece. He ends up being connectively on the wing. His defensive ceiling is through the roof because of his length and kind of versatility in that regard. This is going to be a fun group. I, I am not being a pessimist in any type of way here. I think that a, the depth of the Western conference makes adding wins just that much more difficult for a team like Oklahoma city. Yeah. But I also, I, I wonder about the whole Chet Holmgren at the five versus Chet Holmgren at the four conversation, not as much as in what's going to be the best comparative advantage for Oklahoma city than having their five best guys on the floor, right? Like it's Giddy, Shea, Dort, Jalen Williams and, and Chet. That's to me, their best five. But it's a lot to ask a rookie to come in and, and really anchor a really solid defense on that end of the floor, particularly for a playoff team. Here's here's what I would ask you. Are we sure that's their five? Like they can run out a number of different they can play oh, they can play Kenrich Williams instead of Dort, right? And go bigger and get more physicality and get more like smart positional defense and rebounding out there. Like Kenrich is really good. He missed 30 games last yep. year. He's a really valuable player. They could play Isaiah Joe if they oh, need more floor yes. spacing, right? Like this team is loaded just with guys. And then on top of it, they went out and got like one of the best players in Euro League in Vasily Mitzic. Like, my God, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how they're going to get minutes for all these guys. And like, no. we haven't even mentioned Case and Wallace yet, who I think both of us think Love. could it, at least defensively come in and play. Uh, at the point of attack in a really valuable role for them early. Yeah, he, so, he's Sam this year, he's going to be just in case in Wallace because they may not need him every night. I was promised one dad joke and yeah, I, I, you doubled up. I did. You doubled up. And I'm sure we're going to get, I'm sure we're going to get another one. So I apologize. I think that they're deeper and I think that their internal growth is going to be real here. I think they win 45. Like I, I just kind of do. Um, I don't think five wins more than what we saw last year is a big jump. And because they're so deep, they're going to be more capable of withstanding injuries outside of Shea yeah. than what other teams are, frankly. So, yeah, this is good. Yeah, and, and the, la- good the last, last thing I'll say with that, the way that they compete and just – play their hardest every single night and play together that has regular season value. They're going to sneak up on a lot of different teams. Just somebody's having a bad day and OKC punishes you for it. Like that's, that's what they do. That is their cultural MO and it, it matters for racking up those regular season wins. Very similar to what we've seen over the last half decade from those Memphis Grizzlies teams, like their competitiveness and their togetherness throughout the regular season helps punch teams in the face. I think that's right. Okay, you're up with number four. Yeah, number four. I'm going back to uh, to the Eastern Conference here because that's where I see the opportunity really being for this. And I'm going out on a limb 
a little bit here uh, and continuing to project some positive growth. This one might surprise some people, but the team that went 10 and 13 after the all-star break and actually had a few pesky wins throughout the regular season. It's just about how quickly they find consistency with their group. It's the Orlando magic. Orlando magic, Sam, where do you have the magic in the hierarchy of things here before I make the case for them? How, how are you looking at the magic coming into this season? I am looking at them as a very real play in tournament team. Uh, I, I think that they have a very, very real chance to be in the play in tournament. I think they're a bit of a level ahead of Detroit unless yep. Cade goes like supernova. I think Chicago's hard because, like, I just don't know what their direction is going to be. It feels like they want to win, but, like, yeah, I mean, Sh- Jamar Chicago. is an expiring deal. Like, do you do you just keep him the whole year? Like, if they don't keep Damar, I would have Orlando ahead of them. Yeah. Yeah. Chicago and Toronto are both those kind of, like, there could still be yeah. a, a shoe to drop that you don't really know if you want to put all your eggs in their basket. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that tends to lead me a little bit more towards Orlando, like some of the teams that on paper to start the season, I would have in front of them, the Chicago's and Toronto's of the world. I think there's a case that Orlando is kind of ahead of them continuity wise, if a certain few things happen. And and you brought up like the second half of the season numbers. mm -hmm. And for me, it goes beyond that. Like, it's it's just basically after the last twenty or the first twenty games of the season they yeah. were really good last year. Yes, uh, and there's a real reason for that. It's that Markel Fultz came back. Yeah, as soon as Markel got there and they had a real point guard, they went twenty nine and thirty one in his games. Like they were quite good last year when Markel was on the court because they were a little bit better defensively. They had somebody to set the table. And again, this is another team that should see some real internal growth from some of its players. Like Franz Wagner just fucking gave it to Team <laughs> USA today, yes. right? Like yes. Franz is stud. Paulo is going to keep getting better. Like this is not, he's not going to stagnate, I don't think. Uh, if Jalen Suggs continues to show growth, like that's a real factor here. And if he can stay healthy, like that yeah. really matters. I was talking about this with somebody, you know, that works for an NBA team recently too. Is Wendell Carter like the most underrated player in the league? He might be. He's, he's he's really good. He is somewhere between like the 10th and 13th best center in the league. Probably we decided 10th and 14, I think was like the number we got to. And it's just like the overall versatility of skill set yep. that he brings to the table. He, he's really, really, really good. Yep, like the, his ability to shoot from three, his ability to protect the rim positional positionally despite the fact that he's not some like crazy shot blocker he's always there like he's always willing to contest yeah i i just feel like positionally he's smart like he's always he's always able to like run versatile schemes because he just knows where to be that guy is so underrated yes and it's the most ho-hum 15 and 10 and 2 that you that you'll ever see like he gets it night in and night out he's a very good connective passer spaces to the corners or to the top of the key. There's so many different things that you can do with a guy like Wendell Carter as your five man. Uh, You hit the nail on the head with the faults thing and just what having a competent playmaking guard in there really is. 
uh, you know, Jalen Suggs after February 10th, 37.5% from three on four attempts per game. Like if he can just be this kind of Marcus Smarty and Patrick Beverly, like three and D like backup guard or spot starter, that's going to be really, really important for the magic as they kind of fill out this season. So I, I like the continuity that they have in this in this roster and the way that things are built. I'd love to see Anthony Black step in and be able to do something day one from a rookie. Everyone knows I'm really, really high on him. It, it feels like they're just one more like wing and wing piece away from truly knocking on that door and being a, a 38 to 42 win team this year. And I wonder, like, is Jonathan Isaac ever going to be a guy that could do that for them? I don't really know. Yeah, I, I mean, like maybe, but like I guess like this is the other thing for me too. They they had a lot of minutes from guys last year that were just not very good. Yes, right. Yep. Like Bulbul played fifteen hundred minutes for them last year, and in the minutes that Bulbul played for them last year, they had a one hundred nine offensive rating and a one fourteen defensive rating. Like they were really really bad when Bull was on the court last year. Uh, you, you just look through these minute totals, like. Mo Bamba played 680 minutes. Chuma Okiki, who clearly wasn't right coming back from injury yet, played 500 minutes. Like, even if he plays 750 healthy minutes, right, like, that will be valuable for them. Uh, Like, replacing Terrence Ross with Joe Ingles, I think, is probably an upgrade at the end of the day. Like, getting somebody that just moves the ball and makes the right decisions and shoots – it probably helps them. Maybe Anthony Black gives them something as well, right? Uh, Caleb Houston played 800 minutes last year. Caleb Houston like shouldn't play this year, yeah. right? Yeah, RJ so, Hampton's gone, yeah. Like there's just a number of dudes that played a lot of minutes last year. They played, you know, 800 minutes between RJ Hampton. They had 1,000 minutes of RJ Hampton, Goga Patadze, and Admiral Schofield last year. Like <laughs> – it's those minutes that you're replacing, I think, like getting, you know, Mo Wagner into a you know backup role to take on like the bull bull minutes now, uh, maybe because Jonathan Isaac is healthy again. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it's the fact that everybody kind of slides down a peg a little bit. I think like Jalen Suggs is now, you know, not somebody that is going to have to play 30 minutes a night. Like he came pretty close to that last year. I think he was at like 27 a night. Maybe he does play 27 a night, but if he does, it's going to be because he earns it, not because he is like being asked to do it when he's still like kind of a negative offensive player. The reason Suggs is really good, though, is the defense. Like Brian K says Cole Anthony is better than Jalen Suggs right now. I don't think I agree. Like, I think I would still take Suggs over Cole at this point, just because even right now, like Suggs' defense is really valuable. Suggs like is a huge, huge factor in the fact that their defense, you know, at, at times last year was pretty okay. And the fact they finished 16th defensively, um, the fact that Suggs is able to like guard on ball is, is such a menace off the ball. I think he's like kind of shaping up for like a Marcus smart kind of career at this point. Uh, he's really, really valuable. I get that the numbers like don't indicate that he is some incredible player, but I think he is quite good. And Cole, Cole has really improved as well. Like, I, I don't want to discredit Cole. No. Cole has really moved into being a great, I think, backup point guard in the league. Uh, the level to which he has improved, like, he's not one of the guys 
where I'm like, oh, they're improving by bringing in Anthony Black. They're improving by bringing in other guys. I think Cole Anthony will continue to play for this team. Like he's yeah. still he's still good enough to earn the minutes and he's still good enough to play. Um, but Anthony Black will push him and Jalen Suggs will push him. And, you know, they still obviously have Markel Fultz who's going to be there. So, yeah, th- this is a team that I think should show real substantial internal growth yeah. simply by having – simply by getting fewer minutes from like intensely negative players. Yeah. And the guys who they replace them with are either healthier, you know, veterans and guys who they know that they need. I still think that Anthony black can find a role to play to help you for some spot minutes as a rookie. And then like another guy we haven't really talked about here is Gary Harris, who started a lot of games for them at the two. And like, this is a very good veteran stabilizing piece for them in the backcourt. Like I, I, I just like, what I saw every time I, I watched the Magic play last year, if they can stay healthy and keep getting better, I think they're going to really be pushing for a playoff spot this year. So where where does this go wrong, I, I think, is a good question. Sure. Like, it, it could go wrong if injuries occur, obviously, as you could say with any of these teams, yep. right? If Paulo doesn't take, like, a bit of a leap, maybe. Um, if Franz doesn't take a bit of a leap, maybe. Not enough shooting, is an like area not, looking for. Yeah. But, but again, though, like you bring in Joe Ingalls and you hopefully get, you know, a few more minutes from Gary Harris who only played like half the games last season. Right. And, and you know, Gary's an injury risk, obviously, but like, you know, th- that probably matters. But like, instead of Bull Bull being out there shooting 26% from three and, you know, Caleb Houston shooting 33% from three and Chuma Okiki, when he's not right, shooting 30% from three, you know, you're replacing those minutes probably with guys like Joe Ingles and, you know, hopefully getting more minutes from Gary Harris, right? So the spacing is the right call. The spacing is where it could go wrong, I think for sure. But they've done an okay job at least of giving themselves a chance in that regard. Yeah, and, and what helps is that they can invert it a little bit with their front court, that Carter can shoot or is at least respected enough as a shooter. Ben Caro plays a real face-up style as their, their four. And, and, hey, maybe we even see some small ball five for Paolo in the regular season for Orlando this year. I think they went to that like 4% of his minutes, according to basketball reference, were allocated at that spot. We might see an increase of that as they have more competent perimeter players and wings around him. I'm just, I'm really excited to see what they look like. I agree. Uh, I'm excited to see what they look like more than anything. You bring up Paulo backup center minutes. I think that's a great idea. Like, I think that's a really, really interesting idea for them. And and I hope they kind of go about that at some point this year. Okay. Last team for me, the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pelicans are just an easy one. Like, how how does this go right? Zion Williams. Uh, if Zion Williamson is in shape and man, uh, some of those photos that are circulating on muscle watch Twitter right now, uh, Adam hates the summer. I don't, Adam, I do. I do. I am. I am no fun Spinella. I don't watch pickup runs. I don't watch workout videos. I just swipe through it and say like, Oh, it's good for you, buddy. Do, do me a favor and at least look at the thumbnail I posted today of the photo of Zion, like working out right now. All right, hang on here. See what I can get. Oh, he looks like me in the mirror. Yeah, right. Oh, sorry. That's looks, Chet. 
I'm looking at Chet. Yeah, that's yeah, what I look like yeah. in the mirror. Yeah. What can you do? He looks enormous. Like in like not in a bad way. He looks like he has been in the gym for a month and a half now without leaving. If he's that guy and can stay healthy, the Pelicans are a top four team in the West. If he's that guy, you have. Uh, if he's that, if he if he is healthy and he is like in shape, he is a top ten player in the NBA. Zion Williamson, mm-hmm. truly. Yeah. Yeah. And they have the right pieces around him. They've got shooters. They've got positionally versatile guys on defense. They've got different lineups and constructions that they can put out there. They've got a creative coach who knows how to make that stuff happen. Yeah. When Zion is healthy and all of those pieces are together, I'm really high on this Pelicans team. I'm 100% there with you. How much do we trust that, though? Not enough. (laughs) Yeah. Not enough. If Zion, how many games does Zion have to play for the Pelicans to pass the play-in tournament? Oh. To bypass it? Yeah. Honestly, probably close to 70. I would have said 60. So, okay. yeah. So, we're, you said close to 70, so yeah. you're saying in the 60s. I would have said 60. Yeah. I think if Zion plays 60, and then you have Brandon Ingram stays healthy, CJ stays healthy, this team... I think probably bypasses the play in because Jonas is still again, a top 15 center in the league. Brandon Ingram is a top 30 ish player in the league, 35 ish player in the league. Uh, CJ McCollum is what he is, right? Uh, he's a really versatile player who hopefully will be allowed to play a little bit more off ball this season. Like if Dyson Daniels can take a little bit more of that responsibility and some other guys, you know, can step up and be, more of a uh, allow CJ to do what he does best off the ball, right? Frankly, if Zion can step up and play more on the ball, Brandon can step up and continue to play on the ball and stay healthy. Trey Murphy is awesome. Like Trey Murphy is a six foot 10 dude who I think at some point is going to be the best shooter in the NBA. He's not there yet, but like he's going to be at some point, right? We kind of buy that. He's close to it. I mean, he is automatic in, in standstill situations. Like truly automatic. Yeah. Then you have Herb Jones, who's like a phenomenal defender. Like this team is just truly loaded, loaded, loaded with talent. And I just, I, I wish I trusted them more. Like if, if they get 65 games from Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. Brandon Ingram, by the way, only played 45 last year. Like I feel, I feel like that piece of this also goes under yes. the radar here. Yep. Like they won 42 games with Zion Williamson playing 29 and Brandon Ingram 45. If you get 45 more games from Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, this is like definitely a playoff team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you in that regard. Uh, the one worry roster construction wise for me has always been rim pressure and guys who can live in the lane when Zion's not on the floor. And we saw that as an issue for them last year. They just were very jump shot heavy in some regard. I think CJ McCollum as competent as he can be at playing with the ball in his hands is best served being more of that true combo guy uh, who, who can play off ball and on ball and kind of pick his spots to create with it in his hands 
they need a little bit more rim pressure for me, maybe with their second. Like I know Jose Chevy Alvarado is is pretty good as, as a backup guard, but he gets lost amongst the trees a little bit on the interior. Like you, you just need a little bit more juice to me to, to be able to, to collapse defenses. The other piece of it that I think went just like so far under the radar, especially in the second half of the season for the Pelicans last year, where do you think the Pelicans finished defensively in the league last year? Oh, uh, I'm going to guess this one. 13? They finished sixth. Really? In defensive rating last year. Good on them. Like their their defensive infrastructure by the end of the year was really strong. Like I thought Jonas was really quite good defensively last season. Herb Jones was obviously a stud yeah. defensively. Uh, Trey Murphy, I think, continued to take another leap defensively last season. Alvarado is really good defensively. Larry Nance is really good defensively. Dyson Daniels is, like, unbelievable. It's just that he needs to have enough offense to stay on the court in a real way. Like, this team has all of the pieces to be a top-four team in the West. Yeah, I I just I don't trust. I really don't. And I look at that top of the West and I see like Denver and Phoenix, like pencil those two in there without a doubt. I still yeah. trust Golden State a hell of a lot more than this team, even through the regular season. Through the regular season, if this team is healthy, I think they can be better than Golden State. It's not worth relying on. Like they're not no. going to stay healthy. Yeah. So it's it's like a total <laughs> fucking joke that i'm saying this right they're not going to stay healthy but like if they do they can absolutely make the playoffs and and like they can be better than golden state i think in the regular season i don't know about the playoffs probably not in the playoffs but like in the regular season they can be better than the lakers they can be better than the clippers like them in memphis i think is like an interesting conversation with how long john morant is going to be out that's also like the interesting piece of this i think memphis's infrastructure with taylor jenkins and jaron jackson and desmond bain and everything that organization has done to build such a strong culture uh around john morant i think that they probably still end up being a playoff team but john morant is missing the first 25 games of the season here we don't know. I would assume they stay afloat during that time, but there, there's like more. There's more risk with the yes. Grizzlies than there has been in the past. Let's say maybe. Yep. And again, you never know what the health of the Clippers is going to be, or, or you know how the that situation plays out. There are Damian Lillard yep. and James Harden ripple effects that we can still. You know, be feeling the effects of throughout the the fringes of the Western Conference playoff race. There's a lot that can still be determined. And while I agree with you, the ceiling is super high for a Pelicans team when they put it all together. I just uh, it's a really hard high bar to claim for me to go all the way into the the top four. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know, man. Like I, I'm I'm honestly very very interested to see what this all looks like. I don't know what to don't know what to expect yeah. here uh and look like I, I think that i think desmond bain's a stud i think jaron's a stud uh, like i don't know like the pelicans were really fucking good early in the season like they were great like cosmo brings up a good point they were in first in the west before zion got hurt i don't know if zion's healthy this seems going to be really really good they're going to be really really good okay uh the last thing that, that's our five 
Uh, if we had to rank those teams one to five in terms of confidence intervals, how would we rank them? Uh, I would we make the final eight, not just the plan. Okay. Final eight. I'd go Dallas one unequivocally. Okay. Uh, Indiana two. And then I probably go Oklahoma city, new Orleans, and then Orlando. I would go Dallas one. I think I would go new Orleans two. It's funny because like to make the playoffs is a different conversation than yeah. how good I think these teams are. Right. Like, that's I have more faith in Dallas, like to make the playoffs, whereas I think that New Orleans' upside is probably higher than Dallas's. Yeah, and I honest. like I think the three teams in the West are better teams than the two in the East, but I think the yeah. bar to clear for making the playoffs is lower in the East, so that's why Indiana's two for me. I think I'm going to still say Dallas, New Orleans, Oklahoma City, Indiana, then Orlando. And the only reason I say that is because I like try, I'm trying to like figure out, okay, if Luca gets hurt, how fucked is Dallas? Dallas is like totally fucked. Right. But Dallas might actually be less fucked if Luca gets hurt than Indiana is than if Halliburton gets hurt. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. They have uh, Indiana only has got one guy who can play at an all-star level. Yeah. And like if miles Turner, who does actually miss games from time to time, like if he misses, time their defense will fall apart mm-hmm. i don't know huh i think orlando five and dallas one is where i'd be on the confidence intervals yep. yeah and i think i'd still have new orleans two and i think i'd go oklahoma city three it's hard it's hard for me to separate it like it, it just kind of is the, the reason oklahoma city over indiana for me is that i think if Shea gets hurt, you still have Giddy, Jalen, everybody else to be able to take on the on-ball slack, particularly. Mm-hmm. If Halliburton gets hurt, I don't think that Indiana has any of that. Yeah, again, by, very fair. Very, very fair. And by gets hurt, I mean like misses 30 games. Yep. Not like miss, you know not misses the whole season. If any of these teams, best players miss the whole season, they're definitely fucked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, Okay. no question. Let's talk a little bit at the end here about Ty Ty Washington. Ty Ty Washington was released by the Oklahoma city thunder. He's had a circuitous off season already, you know, going from Houston to Atlanta to Oklahoma city. And I kind of just wanted to talk a little bit about how quickly things can change in the NBA uh, and just how teams value these late first round picks, like they don't. And I think we need to recognize that first and foremost, but like also I want to say like for the record, like Ty Ty was quite good in the G league last year. Really good. Really, really good. Glad you brought that up. 23, six assists, three turnovers, like two to one assist to turnover rate with, that scoring ability, 1.4 steals. He was very good in the G League last year. This is so much about where the NBA game is headed just positionally and what it values from a roster construction standpoint 
from smaller players because guys like Ty Ty Washington, I, I think another player I'd want to bring up within this conversation is a guy like Kennedy Chandler, who was drafted totally. the exact same draft class and didn't even make it all the way through his first season. Top 40 pick, and Memphis ran into some roster crunch stuff with Brandon Clark and Steven Adams both getting hurt. And Kennedy Chandler is the first guy on the chopping block. Like when you are a, a younger guard, a smaller guy, your margin for error is almost non-existent now to show that your feel is elite to overcome some of the the lack of versatility that you bring to the table. When you're a smaller guard, you handcuff your team in your roster construction to play certain styles of basketball. You need the ball in your hands. You're, defensively, you can't switch as much. You've got to do different things. If you do get switched on to somebody and have to be you know, worked around off ball, you've got to be so good in order to deserve playing time despite all of those things. Well, you're just replaceable at the end of the day. You're very, very replaceable. And and as we're looking around the league for guys like Ty Ty and Kennedy Chandler, like where will they land next? Like, oh, why didn't anybody just want to acquire Ty Ty Washington this summer? It's a young guy who's still got a lot of upside to try to invest in. It's because no other roster around the league has the flexibility to take on another one of these kind of smaller players who would hamstring you in that regard. Like when push comes to shove, I'd rather go with one of the veteran guys like a, a TJ McConnell or an Ish Smith that's out there because I know he can already do it. So like you bring up, you know, Kennedy Chandler and like, I'm sure Memphis, like I know that Memphis like did, they wanted to keep Kennedy. Yeah. It's just, they ran out of, roster spots because of their big situation and they had to sign Kenneth Lofton Jr. in order to make it work for them in the playoffs and like have cover in case of injury. Here's the thing. If you're Kennedy Chandler and you're Memphis this off season, like Memphis can just go out and sign Sharif Cooper. Not that different. They can go out and sign Jared Butler. Not that different. They can go out and sign, uh, you know, Ty Ty Washington, not that different. They could go, I'm sure that they could trade for Malachi Flynn probably, right? Not that different. Like the the number of replacement options that are available for you on the market, if you are a small guard, is just so much larger than if you're a big or if you're a wing, right? Uh, Cosmo brings up the backup guard is becoming the NBA's version of running backs in the NFL. Yeah, the smaller one. I agree. Uh, It's just really, really hard, I think, for guys like Ty Ty to end up in positive situations unless they're just ready to go from the jump. And if you kind of look through the last, let's go with starting with the 2020 NBA draft, right? Look at how these teams have valued second round pick or uh, late first round picks. Let's call them. Sure. RJ Hampton went 24th overall. His second contract was for like $490,000. So not, not enough, not a lot. Right. Peyton Pritchard, like, isn't, it seems like going to get an extension from Boston. Right. And I have no idea where his career goes after this. And I think Peyton's okay. And and he's asked out of Boston before. And, and I think that the lack of ability to find homes for him is indicative of the market for guys like him right now. 
Yeah, Yudoka Azubuke is on a two-way right now. Didn't make it all the way through his rookie scale deal. Uh, Malachi Flynn, Flynn, I have no idea what ends up happening with him. Tyrell Terry had some issues at 31 overall. You know, I hope Tyrell is doing well. Um, he's on a two-way now, or he was on a two-way for his second deal, is out of the NBA now. Vernon Carey, uh, 32nd overall. Second deal was for 100000 Didn't make it all the way through his deal. Uh, Daniel Aturu, second deal was for 50000 Didn't make it all the way through his first contract. Teo Maladon, uh, second deal was a two-way. Didn't make it all the way through his deal. Tyler Bay, 36th overall, you know, was never on anything more than a two-way, I believe. That's, you know, basically from 24 to 36 in the 2020 draft. You go to 2019 now. Um, you know, Ty Jerome got all the way through his rookie deal and, you know, is now on a guaranteed deal for, you know, real, like, decent money. Nasir Little got a second contract. But he got $28 million on a second contract. Dylan Windler somehow got all the way through his deal. He's on a two-way now, though. Didn't get a second deal. Fiondu Cabangele did not get all the way through his first deal. Second deal was for $100,000. Uh, Jordan Poole, great hit. Kelton Johnson, great hit. Kevin Porter Jr., great hit, I think. But then you get to 32, Keze Apala, uh, $250,000 second deal. Didn't make it all the way through his first contract. 33, Carson Edwards, you know, didn't make it all the way through his first contract. 75K guaranteed. Bruno Fernando, Didi Luzada did not make it all the way through their first deals. Uh, you know, Bruno has done well and mm-hmm. has made $10 million guaranteed through his career somehow. Uh, good for Bruno. But, you know, these these picks at the turn of the first and second rounds, you go back to, you know, the 20, let's go here to the 2018 draft now. So we've gone 2020, 2019, 2018, 28th overall, Jacob Evans didn't make it all the way through his first deal. John and Musa did not make it all the way through his first deal. Omari Spellman did not make it all the way through his first deal. Elliot Kobo did not make it all the way through his first deal. Uh, Melvin Frazier at 35 did not make it all the way through his deal. Kyrie Thomas at 38 did not make it all the way through his deal. Like guys like Musa Evans and Spellman, I don't even think they got like real second opportunities even. So it goes quick. If you're not ready to play from the jump and you are not a top 20 player in your draft class, it turns. And like Ty Ty was a guy that people thought would go in the top 20 when he declared. So like, I get why he declared. I don't think he necessarily made a mistake declaring. It's just that it goes quick. It goes really quick. And And you, yeah, the margin for error for guards is particularly small. It, the margin for error with guards is very, very, very small. Uh, And you have to be careful, like, especially with the NIL opportunities that are out there in college basketball right now. It behooves you to wait until you're ready to come to the NBA now, I think. Like, truly. Like, it's hard for Ty Ty Washington to turn down a guaranteed, you know, what is Ty Ty going to make guaranteed on this deal? Four and a half million. Ty Ty is going to make four and a half million no matter what happens now. You know, he'll net 2.2 million. It's hard to say that Ty Ty made like some egregious mistake, I think. But 
it, it goes quick. And I, I would behoove prospects, agents, people like that to just be aware of how quickly it can turn for you. Ty Ty Washington is a prime example of how it can go. Yep. And, and even those guys who fall, like it's, it's hard for them to make it like Trey Jones ended up going what 40th overall. And he just signed a second contract after being a pretty good player and spot starter for the Spurs most of the year. And he's not even making that much money. Sharif Cooper, unbelievable feel and just set the G league on fire last year. Can't get guaranteed contract opportunities after going in the second round. Like, it's just, it's really, really hard. And yes, there is a difference between being 6'3 in Ty Ty Washington and being 5'11 in Sharif Cooper. There's a very real difference in that regard. Yeah. But the bar is so high for these undersized guards to clear. Uh, it, it's, it's really, really tough to stick in today's NBA. Yeah, especially look like Sharif Cooper averaged 23, 7 in three and a half rebounds a game. He shot 35% from three each of the last two years, which by the way, Sharif Cooper shooting, that was the big concern that a lot of people had. And I wasn't quite as high on Sharif as some people were. Um, I think I had him at like 29 or so. Like I I like the upside swing as potential, but like I, I I had him like very, I had him late first round. Sure. Um, Here's the number for Sharif. Sharif averaged four and a half turnovers per game last year. You can't do that. Like in the G League, you can't do that. You can't do that in the NBA to be sure, but like you can't do that in the G League. That's where that's where the leap needs to come for him. Like that's where Kennedy Chandler has to be consistent and reliable. Um you, you have zero margin for error if you are a small guard now. Um truly, like you you have zero margin for error in the way that like that bears itself out on the 2023 or 2024 draft, yeah. right? Like Isaiah Collier is really good. Isaiah Collier has very little margin for error, even being like six, three and being physical. Like that dude plays a physical brand of basketball. But the bigger one to me is like DJ Wagner, like has very, very little margin for error in a way that I think people have not recognized. Totally agree with that. Like it, you know, they're always going to be like Darius Garland types who are just so skilled and and impactful that they're going to overcome a lot of these trends. And hopefully you hit on a guy like that when you take him earlier in the draft, but a it's, it's becoming harder to do that, to justify spending an earlier draft pick on those guys. And B, if you take a later draft pick on them, they've got to produce earlier in their career. You don't have the time and flexibility to really wait for them to play through some of that stuff. So I think the DJ Wagner one is a great call. Like I know you and Bryce Simon talked about Elliot Cadeau on the last podcast. Like I Elliot has like no margin for error. He is six foot one, like 170 pounds. And I I love the way that dude plays. Love like epitome of an awesome floor general, really great point guard. He has zero margin for error. He has to improve as a shooter this summer if he wants to be a one and done in like a real way. Yep. 100%. Like it, I loved Judah Mintz at Syracuse last year, but same category of kind of position and athleticism totally. type. Jackson Shellstad at Oregon, like to some extent. Another, a- another guy that I love, by the love. way. Love. Love Jackson Shellstad and the way that he he runs an offense and can do so many different things. Unbelievably creative passer. 
but the margin for error just isn't there. Like as scouts, we have to look forward and try to apply what matters in today's NBA, what wins in today's NBA, and adjust our boards and our rankings as a result of that. Elliot Cadeau and Jackson Shellstad are probably two of the best 20 freshmen in college basketball, and that doesn't seem well, like a controversial opinion. And I'll give you another one. Aiden Holloway. Like, mm-hmm. Aiden Holloway was incredible hoop summit week. And NBA scouts were just like, he's so small. Yep. Like, I'm telling – like, Aiden Holloway was awesome. Like, I was there. Like, he killed dudes. And he's six foot tall. And it's just like, well, he has to be Trey Young. Like, that that's the thing. Like, you either have to be Trey Young or Darius Garland or somebody like this, which means there is a pathway for these guys. Mm-hmm. Like, you can be that small and be okay. The next pathway down is like it's like Monte Morris, right? Yep, yeah. It's Sharif Cooper. Like, We're seeing it. Well, there, there's like a middle ground, I think. Sure. Between those guys. Like like Monte Morris, Jose Alvarado is like a really good, you know, backup point guard. Um th- th- there is a middle ground, I, I think is worth saying. And like so, J- Jalen Brunson, I think is a great question here from Connor Andrews. I loved Jalen Brunson pre-draft. I had him as a first rounder. Like, how can you predict that kind of production? There there are two things that I think you need to be able to do if you're small. Jalen Brunson does both. He is an elite decision maker. Jalen Brunson is probably one of the 10 smartest players in the NBA right now, like on planet Earth. Um, And you have to be able to shoot. And Jalen can really mm-hmm. shoot and has unbelievable touch and everything. You have to have... Not just good touch, but like elite touch. And you have to be able to make incredible decisions at an extremely excessively high level. Yeah. And and Brunson is a unique player in that like he's he's strong and a different type of athlete for somebody of his size. Like he is smaller, but he is very yeah. stocky and he always stays on balance in everything he does. Like he's his footwork, his touch, his decision making, his his craftiness is kind of off the charts. But those players that you mentioned, right? Jalen Brunson, Monte Morris, I forget who was the other uh other player that you had mentioned there? Uh, uh, Jose Alvarado. Uh, yeah. Jose Alvarado, Javon Jose Carter Alvarado. is another one. Yep. Like there, there are, there are a few, right? Like you, there, there's, there is a middle ground. So do you know what, do you know what all of those players have in common? Uh, Mul- multi-year college guys. That a lot they of them cut, are multi-year college guys. Yeah. They cut their teeth and they showed that their feel and their skill and all of those things are off the charts. They got the reps that they needed to improve to get to the point where they can come in and help an NBA team right away before yeah. they were on that rookie contract. I think that's the path for these younger guys. Like, don't be so quick to say, hey, I average 15 and five as a freshman. It's time for me to go chase the NBA. Like, there's so much more value in trying to maximize that year after year after year in college and then try to take the same pathway that Jalen Brunson took. And the reason for that is if you're a small guard, it's just really fucking hard to get reps in the NBA. The NBA is the best guys in the world. And even in the G league, right? Like in the G league, you're fighting against dudes that made their all conference team every single year. Almost like a lot of the time. Right. It's hard to find those reps. It's hard to like get the number of reps that you need 
in order to become confident in ball screens, in order to become, you know, an unbelievable pull-up shooter, to work on your footwork. Like, Seasons in Sloan brings up Marcus Sasser, right? Like, Marcus Sasser got the reps. Like, that's a big factor. Like, I I believe in Marcus Sasser. He got the reps. Davion Mitchell, same thing. He got the reps and completely transformed who he was as a player and prospect. But, like, by the way, though, and defend. Here's what I would tell you about Davion Mitchell, though, too. Davion Mitchell, I think, is a good example of a guy that maybe did not get the reps, actually, because his defense is unbelievable. Like, his defense will keep him in the NBA for a while. But, like, didn't play a lot his first year at Auburn, then was at Baylor for one year. And, like, got the reps at Baylor for one year. Yeah. But he struggles to run an offense in the NBA. I should say he got time to continue to play and show his value and his worth for an NBA team. Like, pick and roll reps, opportunities to run an offense, those definitely matter. And to me, that comes down more to your choice in a college than it does anything else. But – yeah, there's there's a lot of these guys who I'm seeing who are making it as undersized guards, and they're the ones who are older. They're more polished when they come into the league, and mm-hmm. they have one clear identity, if not both, of shooting and defense. And look, there are these preternatural guys, right? Like Darius Garland, yep. Trey Young. You, know, you can point them out, right? John Morant's one, right? Like he was two and done it. Uh Murray State and really only got to like fully run the show one year because uh, they had John Stark, if I remember correctly, that first year where he was there, um, where he was like the uh, OVC player of the year, if I remember correctly, in that league. And Morant was next to him like that. There are these like just unbelievably gifted dudes and maybe, you know, maybe DJ Wagner, maybe Elliot Cadeau. Maybe we find out that some of these guys are that. But you know who those guys are in college, is my point. Yep. Like, y- you knew it. So, I-, I don't know. And again, like, Ryan D brings up, like, Ty Ty's combine measurements and stuff. Ty Ty is a slightly different deal here. Not, like, an enormously different deal, but it's slightly different with Ty Ty. Ty Ty needs opportunities and reps. And again, Ty Ty was really good in the G League this year. It's just that he needs to now find a home and things change so drastically quickly uh, in today's NBA. They really do. They, they really do. And again, to close the loop on the 2024 guys here, like I am still hopeful that an Elliot Cadeau or a DJ Wagner and Isaiah Collier can turn into that clear cut. Hey, it doesn't matter. He's so damn good. We've got to get this guy anyway and kind of live with it. Like I, I want those guys to be that. But if history yeah. is any indication, that's a really high bar to clear, and it's becoming decreasingly a risk that NBA teams are going to want to take. Yeah, so like guys that qualify for this this year, DJ Wagner, Elliot Cadeau, uh, Jared McCain is another one, I yeah. think, yep. in a pretty real way. Aiden yeah. Holloway, for sure. Uh, El Marco Jackson's probably a little bit more physical, I think, yeah, than these guys. such a like, good athlete. And just like is a total freak show athlete, but Rob Dillingham is one for sure. Uh, you know, Jackson Shellstead, you brought up. I think that's a really good name for sure. Jeremy Fears at Michigan State, yep. to Don Thomas going to UNLV. Uh, whatever happens with Mikey Williams, who knows there? Like, this is a class that actually has a lot of these guys 
And if you wonder why they aren't showing up on draft boards, this conversation is kind of why. 110%. And again, that doesn't mean we don't love them as players. Prospects and players are different things. In some regards, they're different things. They are. Okay. Uh, Adam, do you have anything else you want to get off your chest before we leave? Sam, did you watch any good movies recently? I haven't had a movie talk with you in a while. I have watched a lot of good movies recently, Adam. I'm up to like 50 on 50 2023s now. All right. Hit me with something I got to watch here the next week or so before I get back to school. Okay. What should you watch? Oh, Blackberry. 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 I thought Blackberry was, it's one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Uh, It's Glenn Howard. Do you watch It's Always Sunny? Yeah, of course. Of course I do. Yeah. It's Glenn Howerton, like doing Dennis, but bald and like in a drama. Oh, because of the implication? Yes, that's correct. Wow. It's like, he's like actually doing the business version of the Dennis system in this movie. (laughs) I need, okay. (laughs) What's it on? What can I stream it on then? uh, I rented it. It was like $5 to rent. Um, It was so good. Like the writing is impeccable. The, I'm dead serious. Like, there's a real chance I like campaign for Glenn Howerton to get like a supporting actor nominee for the Oscars this year. I want to watch. I think he is unbelievable in this movie. The the writing is, the writing is amazing. There's a scene in this movie that is so completely off the fucking rails. And Oh, by the way, Oh, by the way, while I'm wearing a penguins hat, you will see why the penguins matter in this movie. And there's a scene at the end of this movie that gave me more joy than any scene will give me in any movie all year. And you you guys will understand why when you see it. It, it hit you right um, in the ends of your heart. Yes, 100%. Uh, I think I've talked about – have I talked about Oppenheimer on the pod yet? I think I have. Oppenheimer yeah, is incredible. Yeah. Like the best movie I've seen all year for sure. I'm, I'm trying to think of like movies that you could just like watch uh, with Kayla like on yeah. – like streaming or something like that. Yeah, we're, that we're we're doing we're doing a lot of good. streaming and and movies and TV shows now. She's uh, you know, for people who don't know, my wife's thirty five weeks pregnant, so we're doing a lot of staying at home and doing nothing. Yeah, uh, I really liked How to Blow Up a Pipeline that I think is on Hulu now. Really liked that. Uh, you should just uh, like that's just like an interesting movie to watch. Uh, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse is out now. That's like one of the most visually creative movies I think I've ever seen just straight up. Uh, Asteroid city is on Peacock. If you like Wes Anderson, you will like it. Uh, I I had a good time with it. The, the Manziel doc. Have you watched that? No, but I've heard everything that was basically in it because I sat with our football coaches for like two hours the other day. The Manziel doc is – I don't know what to think about it. Um, It just felt like content to me more than like an actual film, which sounds rude maybe, but – like it just was like, oh, yeah, like Johnny's willing to do this documentary and – Johnny Manziel is like super open for the most part and is like pretty transparent and honest and like is unabashedly who he is. Yeah. 
in it. And when he's on camera, it's compelling in that way. But I don't know if it like totally hung together for me as like a final product that is like trying to say something about like his career, trying to say something about, you know, the way that uh, fame corrupts or like anything. Like, I don't know what to, I don't know what to think of it. That's that's how I felt about the uh, Alabama sorority like rush documentary that came Ooh. out several months ago. I have not watched that yet. Is that good? It's okay. It's okay. My, my wife works for a sorority, so I, I watched it with her. She was super into it. Like maybe it's just not my thing, um, but I, I thought it was okay. In terms of like football stuff right now, like you better believe what I'm watching. Oh, the New York Jets. Oh, I'm going to have baby. to deal with you with the jets all year super bowl or bust baby i'm all about it i love it by the way like i'm gonna have to like deal with you and my wife because laura likes aaron Rodgers quite a bit or you know did uh until some Aaron Rodgers' many decisions yeah. um we're, we, we still like aaron Rodgers though in this house sure. we understand the flaws of the man but we are still in um uh, the last one have you watched cocaine bear no, I haven't watched. I, I don't know if I can physically bring myself to sit down and do like that just screams snakes on a plane to me. And I, I don't know if I can do it. It's a little bit of that, but it's pretty fun. All right, and it's man. like if you have Peacock, it's free. I like, don't. I, I don't. Yeah. There I are did. ways to get there. I was going to say there are ways to get Peacock for free. Um, Like just by like. They have like partnerships with like certain, you know, companies that you yeah. can like, you know, do like a dual thing with. Um, yeah. Interesting movie. Very interesting movie. All right. I'll uh, put that on the short list then. Yeah. That's all I've got. That's, that's, I'm up to like 50 now. I, I like was going through and like trying to list out my favorites of the year so far. Um, I've only got like 11 or 12 that like i'm like really 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 into but i would say blackberry is definitely in my top five so far yeah. oh have you have you seen um john wick four and extraction two neither of those i haven't seen the firsts or the thirds or the, any of the versions of those oh, i had a great time i've had a great time with the extraction movies i get it that they're kind of stupid it's basically like chris hemsworth is a dude who goes and gets shit done right uh, who goes and like has to rescue people and things and it's an action movie and the action's really well done i would suggest the extraction movies they're on netflix for free if you have netflix i do yeah okay yeah. so those are good ones uh seasons and sloan asks any good book recommendations uh i have actually i've read two books this weekend so i have quite a few good book recommendations right now um i read Islands of Abandonment by Cal Flynn. That was recommended to me by Katie Heindel. Shout out, Katie. Um, I really, really liked it. I thought it was really good. It's like about how in these places that humanity has abandoned due to nuclear disaster, like in Chernobyl or in, um, you know, war-torn parts of the world that just like don't have the ability to continue, you know, housing people how the earth has like kind of reclaimed them and like different species have come in and uh 
you know, taken over in different ways. It's a really interesting book on conservation and like how earth continues to like build and rebuild. Uh, yeah, really, really, really interesting book. I found myself talking to my wife about it a lot. And then right now I'm reading the Jane Harper books. Cause I'm like back into fiction. I try to go fiction and nonfiction, like one fiction, one nonfiction, basically. Okay. Um, I read The Dry, which is like the biggest Australian fiction book to come out in the last decade. Uh, that was a movie with Eric Bana. If people have seen like trailers and stuff and like have seen the movie. Uh, I read that. That was really good. I'm reading the second one right now as well. Um, All right. Yeah. Trying the, to think. Not many book stuff from me. Like I, I'm really boring. I read only like leadership and coaching and like basketball <laughs> stuff. I, I, I don't have many hobbies outside of this. There was a really informative one. Uh, it's called NIL for all. It's like, it's booked as this 30 minute guide to learning everything about the NIL and how it's transforming things. I think that's a necessary read for everybody within the basketball and kind of collegiate sports industry right now quick read like 60 pages but really informative and smart for where things are heading and how to stay abreast of everything and then uh, a lot of like what to expect when you're expecting it's a uh, it's an informative yeah. book yeah yeah you uh you have responsibilities yeah, I got, coming up i, I, have, I got uh, that genre to read yeah i have i have time to read books uh unlike you at this point adam tell the people where they can find your work tell the people what's going on yeah, if anyone wants to follow me on Twitter, and yes, I'm going to keep calling it that, go file, follow me at the box and one underscore. Uh, Milos Uzan, big breakdown video coming out tonight, article and companion coming out tomorrow. Got a top 30 grade on him. I really enjoyed watching him play, excited for the potential of what he could become. And uh, other than that, I'm just going to enjoy my final week of vacation here before getting back to the grind of the school year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's all good. Shout out to Spain. Shout out the shout out the Matildas, by the way. Uh the Australian women's national soccer team. Had a great time watching the Matildas over the course of the last month. One of the most fun teams. One one of the teams I've like jumped on the bandwagon of hardest. Like Laura and I are now officially like in the market to try and figure out what WSL team we need to support. Oh. Yeah. We're we're in. We're trying to decide basically between Chelsea and Arsenal, but we're also, you know, seeing if some of the Australian girls get picked up by WSL teams as well uh, after the tournament. So we're 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 in the market. If anybody has recommendations there, um, the last thing I want to note here: Adam brought up the NIL book, right? Uh, and I tweeted about this over the weekend. I, I was pretty annoyed by it. If you are a college coach, I'm begging you, like, please, truly, you guys are people that, like, have big audiences. You you are people that recruits look toward. And I get it that, like, some of you have agendas in terms of not liking the transfer portal and not liking the fact that kids now have, like, autonomy and that there can be some unexpected consequences if kids transfer. And I think it's worthwhile to share those unintended consequences when they are accurate. I would just ask and beg anybody that is a college coach, do not blindly retweet these bullshit transfer graphics. 
like, please, there is a graphic going around right now that is saying that 817 of the 1,815 D1 players that entered the transfer portal this year have not found a new home. That number is so fucking asinine and ridiculous as to not even be, like, Have common sense. Like, think about it logically. There is no way that that number is plausible. Like, truly, there's just no way that that number is plausible. And if you ask anybody within the space that, like, really understands this, like, for instance here, so, like, Tony Adragna is someone that, like, is a former basketball coach who's now, like, you know, doing stuff, like, in the business world. According to his numbers, among these 1,821 players only 493 have not found a new ncaa home so a lot of these kids have transferred down to division two division three obviously and a lot of kids do that like a lot of kids are very happy in transfer specifically to go down to the division two division three level because they want to play they want to go and get new opportunities Of the 493 that have not found new NCAA homes, 142 of these players are walk-ons. So, like, probably not good enough at the end of the day. Some of them are. Some of them preferred walk-ons probably, but probably not good enough to be Division I players. Another 167 committed to NAIA and JUCO programs. So essentially, 309 out of 493, which is the actual number, not the bullshit 817 number, have found new homes. They're just not NCAA homes. And they're going to continue to play basketball in the way that they want to play basketball and that they're choosing to play basketball. Or maybe they're walk-ons and they're not good enough to play basketball, right? A lot of walk-ons also transfer down, by the way. Mm Mm-hmm. So 167 out of 821, so 9% of players, not 45%, have not found a new home. And I would bet you, much like Tony thinks, that of those 167, there are a lot of weird circumstances or there are some grade circumstances that have caused issues. Like there are a number of contextual factors here. Coaches, I implore you, please do not share bullshit. Like, seriously, I saw at least double figures head coaches share that graphic without any context, without anything. I am begging you, do think like with any degree of problem solving or any sort of logical like problem solving in any way that that's my rant for today yeah. like please please just think about this just think about it before you tweet okay i get it that some people have agendas here i'm not going to be immune to not knowing that but like seriously a lot of college, like I saw a lot of college coaches tweet about this. And I saw other media members like 
what are we like seriously paul b and cardi like how are you retweeting this come on man like think it through okay that's the show for today that's i had to get that off my chest i was so mad when i saw like actual relevant people in this industry like retweeting that without context without thinking about it without anything um okay Keep it locked here at the Game Theory Podcast. We will be back later this week uh, with more. I have a show scheduled with Mark at some point, and then I have another guest that I'm super excited about that I have to call as soon as I get off the line here to try and get some things set up for this week. Um, Really, really excited to share uh, some work with you guys on the podcast coming up. Uh, Writing-wise, I'm working on a couple of bigger projects with CJ Moore, and I will let you know when those go live. Until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.